This week on the Indo Daily. I actually don't believe right that priests said her any harm. He just like thought I knew. But that's how I found out Miriam Martina was dead. How likely is it that Trump will be found guilty of paying hush money to former adult film star Stormy Daniels? We're talking about involvement in serious drugs activity on both sides of the border and as well as that, the procurement of weapons. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. Shachtan, an indo Askeliga. Time in mon iroti yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a machan shaw gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochrecha nach vetoch ara igornamyan on kieschin ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Yatakshe talam griven arkarstan ilistuha lagus kimen fracht gora kliksar dukeshen ekor. Oni ven aun tardarakshin. Schachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Hello and welcome to The Left Wing with me, Sinead Kazan. Well, that's it. Ireland have finished last in the table in this Women's Six Nations after Saturday's 36-10 defeat to Scotland. Five games, five huge defeats, zero points on the board. Now, Ireland also finished pointless and bottom of the table in 2004 and 2002. But this year's was the greatest points difference with minus 167 to make it the worst finish ever for Ireland in the Women's Six Nations. Now, Anna Capeless and Ali Donnelly are here. Thank you both for joining me um, on this bank holiday Monday to talk about this uh, really gloomy situation that the Ireland women's team are in. I remember talking to Philip Goose Doyle back in March. We were doing the 10-year anniversary podcast to celebrate Ireland's Grand Slam win 10 years ago. And, and he predicted that this Women's Six Nations was going to be a tough one and he was proved right. And would you agree in many ways that this wooden spoon finish was always coming for this team? Yeah, I think a few people predicted that. And I think um, I even I, I've heard I heard that prediction last year as well. And, you know, somehow I, I always found like Ireland had a way of winning and a way like of, of, of grinding out some win, you know, even despite the challenges, which which they did last year. And like there was a part of me for, you know, the first half of the game, I was like, they're going to do it again. You know, they're they're going to somehow, despite all the, you know, predictions of a wooden spoon, they're going to they're going to grind out a win here. And then obviously, you know, it, it slipped away in the second half. So it's not a it's not a new prediction either. And that's, you know, it's sad because that's coming off, you know, years of of of, of feeling this way. You know, this isn't it's not a new feeling. It's not a huge shock. It has been coming. Yeah, um, Ali, you were, you were both actually in Twickenham on, on Saturday. I mean, record-breaking crowd to watch England lift the Grand Slam, gorgeous weather. And then there's Ireland. I mean, Ali, you know your women's rugby history. Where does this wooden spoon and where Ireland are at now, where does this low rank for you? Look, I think given the success we had in the last decade, you know, 2013, 14, 15, it's probably up there as, as one of the low, lowest moments because prior to, you know, the, the point at which we won something, we were, you know, a, a team that was always kind of 
second, second bottom. And so we were starting to grow, whereas now we've experienced that high. It does make it very hard to swallow. I think in terms of the question you asked, Anna, so it's interesting because when we came into this competition, we didn't really know where we were at. I wonder if the Six Nations had been in the old window in, in kind of Feb, March, if the World Cup impact, there might have been a bit of fatigue, and there might have been greater. Yeah, teams had that break. So I think the good, the only, the one good thing you can take away is we know exactly where we're at now. There's there's no kind of like oh maybe where where Scotland are, maybe we're we're not. We're quite far away actually from those teams. You know, we we weren't competitive over 80 minutes in any of the games. We were competitive in patches. So at least we know where we're at. But yeah, I think. Watching the game at Twickenham, just a different level in terms of both the quality of play and the, the you know, the, the environment and infrastructure. And then Anna and I bumped into each other in a local pub and the Ireland game was on and there was Irish people there. And, you know, somebody, an ex-England player said to me, look, Ireland are winning. You know, I was like, ha ha, you know, it's 3-0 at this point. And I sort of, my heart sank because you felt like, God, I know that's a joke, but that's, it's, it's almost like a like someone's just kind of laughing, and I sort of laughed along. And of course, we didn't go and win the game. So I, I feel like we are at a are we at an all time low? Maybe, <laughs> but um, I, I think it's just after the success we've had, it makes it hard to swallow. Yeah, and for two women who have been so invested in in Irish women's rugby, like what were those feelings? You know, even waking up Sunday morning, yesterday morning, I I know I woke up and I was like like where to now what next like how did that make you feel um as I say as two women who've been so invested in Irish women's rugby it 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 really came to me like the when when the crowd was singing in Twickenham on Saturday it was such a great event you know and 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 you're there and even like the walk up to the stadium and and it was it was really an amazing day for like women's sport and women's rugby and like when the crowd was singing I just had this like pang of sadness, like we could have this and we are nowhere near it. And, you know, I'm here like celebrating this along with everyone else. It's such a great day. How could we be so far away from this? And, you know, to reflect on it, I I had the kind of the same feeling last week when when we were talking about England and we were like, oh, you know, Ireland didn't do too bad. And then you look at all the scores and Ireland are scoreless and, you know, 48 nil against England and you're like, that wasn't too bad. Like, how did it get to this? And how did it get to, a, you know, a part where all of the other teams are celebrating successes, sold out crowds, you know, um, um, big results, like climbing all the time. Obviously, you know, um, Italy will be disappointed with, with some of their results and, and that's obviously going with the ebb and flow. But in terms of like across the board, everyone's going somewhere except for us it seems now and I know look this is it's been said right this is going to be year one and this is where we're starting from fine yeah we know where we're at but it doesn't make it any easier to enjoy this whole experience when we're we know we're just so far behind yeah I I, I'd echo that and I think for me it's just it's just one of frustration because the you know the wake up call should have been 2017 World Cup World performance. Then you know there, there seems to be constant false dawns, and yeah. it's why I treat with great skepticism this this kind of narrative of this is year one. I agree totally. You know, yeah, it, it, it feels like ground zero to me. It doesn't feel like year one. No, exactly. 2017 poor, terrible. You know, World Cup results in a way at home 
uh, that 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 was kind of year one. From there on in, right? Let's build to the next World Cup. Then we fail to qualify. You know the, the performances this year, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it, it nothing seems. To, you know the RFU privately will say they they feel frustrated themselves at the way in which sort of some of this is playing out and that they're not getting enough credit for things they're doing behind the scenes. But I, I just think it's hard to have, and I saw Jen Murphy say this really passionately and eloquently after the game, it's hard to keep having faith that things are going to change because we've just been on this trajectory. I, I don't know if anyone's done a graph of the decline in the national team's kind of fortunes 2017, but it will only show it going in one direction. So for me, the overriding sense is frustration um, we we have great athletes who always talk about we do produce good athletes in Ireland and they're not really been given the opportunity to fulfil their potential. So that is a huge frustration. I didn't feel actually we could have what England had. I think they're you know, they've they're ahead of everyone in the kind of infrastructure environment, but they're we're still we're quite far behind Scotland and Wales now, which is this. really yeah. frustrating. You know, that they're the teams we should be mixing with and we're not. Mm-hmm. And that's the really tough thing is the fact that other teams who we would have been competing against, uh, beating, they are now running away from us. Yeah, quite significantly. I mean, I think Scotland pulling away in the last 20 is an indication, I think, of the difference in the journey. So what happens if you lose a game in the last 20, it's usually fatigue, lack of experience, lack of nerves. It was tight until then so they're quite far away you know I was saying to someone it's like if you're looking at a series of mountains we're like five behind um and we're sort of like at the at the foot of one and other people are at the top of the fifth one and, and you know Scotland would never they would have been just next to us or you know this is a terrible analogy I, I'm sorry I should have thought of this more um but you know it just no, it's, it's just that sense of like we shouldn't be this far behind Scotland and Wales and Italy in particular. Yeah. yeah. So let's just briefly look back at Scotland before looking at the border picture again. I mean, no late escape this time for Ireland against Scotland. We remember what happened in Belfast last year. Ireland were in the game. Nicola Friday scored a try, um, her second in this year's competition. She's the only Irish player to score a try in this competition. Um, obviously, there was that penalty try in Parma. But then, of course, as you say, Ali, the way that Scotland finished, uh, six tries overall, so, you know, really good tries, a 36-0 win. Uh, trying to get the bonus point win for Ireland, look, was always going to be a huge ask. And a really, when they go going into this game, but like when, especially when they'd only scored you know, two tries from open or one try from open play in this tournament so far. It was always going to be a huge ask. Yeah, especially when, you know, you look back and, and you know, fair play to Nicola for getting over the line, but like to have no other players score a try is, um, oh, that's disappointing for the team. You know, it's such a great, you know, any any day you get to play, but to score a try for your country is like, is, you know, an, an amazing thing to achieve. And, you know, to only have one player across the whole tournament achieve that, and and then what we were what we needed was a you know a bonus point win f- with tries like that was going to be a huge ask. You're absolutely right. So coming into the game and like you know the, the media you know they asked the players a lot about it in the run up to it. Like, do you think that this is you know achievable or whatever? And you know they gave the right answers in terms of we can only focus on ourselves and we're not going to be like chasing tries we're just going to look for the performance because the thing is like there were so many times where you know it looked like they were building something good even like in in the first half against Scotland as well I felt like whoa they're really getting on the front foot here in a lot of in a lot of um, areas and nice wide passes like hitting the gaps in the middle of the pitch and, and it looked really good but the same theme in terms of like now what you know kind of off the pitch and on the pitch you're like now what? Where do we go from here? Just no way of finishing it off. And 
you know, to 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 get a try, you know, and to to get over the line like fair play. But they did, you know, they're like working towards something, and then no one has any answers, and that's uh, you know, to 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 get one try was good, you know, and we're here like, oh, well, fair play, you know, getting one try. That's, that's just a reflection of how far behind we are. So, so, and is that down to coaching or is it down to, if we're looking at the backs inexperience there, what's that down to in particular? I, I don't think you could put your finger on one thing. The inexperience, yeah. The, the, the coaching, yeah. The, the lack of time together, Yeah. Um, all these things I don't know is one heavier than the other in, in, across the board but um, uh, you know the girls certainly feel like we're focused on this this and this they felt like they were had you know real um, kind of uh, like things to focus on going into the game and in their in their match weeks they seem to be kind of happy with what they were focusing on so you know you can't tell from outside if that's the right thing or what they're choosing to work on is, is, is good or accurate. It just didn't transfer into scoring tries. Again, we did some really good stuff, but in the end it comes down to for me to experience and ability to play at the level. So we do have a very young team and there were some, um, you know, good performances we could, we could pick out in that first 40. But I think the problem for us is, the girls are having to learn on a very unforgiving stage. And I think that just is very difficult. There's more eyeballs. We talked about this earlier in the podcast, more eyeballs on the game, more scrutiny and and more pressure. And it's hard. What you really want is for the girls to be getting to the international stage, having, you know, through a pathway, which has kind of helped them to develop the skills, technical, technical, mental you know, skills to perform in that in that spotlight. And we, we haven't had that. So the only thing I'd add that Anna hasn't mentioned, because I agree with everything there, it's hard to pick one thing, is Italy apart. I think the difference between us and most of the teams is the quality of the kind of pathway domestic competitions that they're you know spitting out from are better. Um, we might come on to that in a minute. We talk about what next. So, the, the you know, Ireland are taking a group of girls and having to try and make them good enough for international rugby, whereas other countries are taking girls who are right on the cusp and are playing really competitive. And then they're tweaking, finessing, using tactics and planning and so on and so forth and finding their own style. Whereas actually it feels to me like the Irish coaches are probably having to almost go back to basics with a lot of these players at this level. And And the problem we have now is... At one point or other, four or five teams were at that case. You you always had a chance of winning games against the teams in and around you. That isn't the case anymore. And so the catch-up and the lag is is much more significant. So I think I'd add that to the mix and, and that is not going to get any easier. Yeah, well, let's get into that now, Ali, because it does really feel like, you know, Irish rugby for the home-based players is just like falling off a cliff now. There's nothing. The England-based players will go back to their clubs, but there is no rugby now for the home-based players. We don't know. There's some talk that maybe there might be a few summer tests put on for the Ireland players, but there there might not be anything until that new global competition later this year. I mean, when you think about like what next, I think one of the things I'd really like to hear, I know the RFU are planning to kind of come out and talk this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really like to hear about that. So we, you know, it's not worth it's if something isn't working, which this this isn't currently. Um, you have to take a step back and say, like, how, how can we make adjustments and change this? And I think having a domestic league, which is not of the best quality for preparing athletes for international rugby, finish in December. The Celtic Challenge Cup is not the one. You know, Wales and Scotland put out B and C teams. And our interpros are just this one-off thing that happens in standard. I don't think was that good this year. I only got to watch a few games. So our our pathway is not helping us to produce 
you know, the quality of test players that we need. So what are we going to do about that? It looks like we're going to put a lot of eggs in the Celtic Challenge basket again next year. Looks like we're talking about putting two teams in there. Is that going to work? It doesn't seem like it will because the other teams are not going to commit and invest in that way. So there's a really interesting question I'm sure someone will put to Kevin or David or whoever's up about, do you think you have this right and what would you do to change that? So um, that to me is a huge problem for us where the system that is producing the players isn't delivering and doesn't look like it can deliver given what we know in terms of how people are going to be taking those competitions seriously. I presume, by the way, that the RFU might know that and that's why they tried to centralise all the players together in Dublin so they could really accelerate their their learning. But these things just aren't quite, the pieces of the jigsaw aren't fitting together. So fascinated to see what we do with that. Yeah, what do you think, Anne? I mean, we had the women's AIL finishing before Christmas um, last year. I don't think we quite know yet like what the structure of the league will be for next year, uh, for, for next season coming. And I don't know how fast those changes will be made to put Ireland in a more competitive situ- situation in the Women's World Cup. We must also remember that the next World Cup, you know, is coming into view as well next year in 2025. Yeah, and that's all... <sighs> hugely important and you're right so the next decisions they make have to be it has to be right they have to get it right now there's no more time for fluffing around and like uh to talk about the league just for a second you know I I completely agree we need we need more games and in terms of like player development but going back to like the player herself like and the personal coming out of a Six Nations now very tough Six Nations campaign, any girl that played in the Six Nations, doesn't matter what what country, going back into your club is an amazing feeling. You go back to kind of what you know, who you know, you get to express yourself, you get to be around, you know, people you love and people that love you and who know your story. And what that that's not there now for, for these girls because, yeah, they, 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 the league is done. There's no interpros. What are they going to do now? I know myself, you know, if you're if you're struggling and if you've come come out of a, a, a tournament like that and you go back into your club, like you need that. So it's not even just about the 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 playing opportunities, like for, in terms of like, you know, skill and development, like personally, as a person, you need it. You need your club. Your club needs you like in to have it, you know, finished back before Christmas. And now pff, now what? Um, yeah. That's a huge loss on, on many fronts. So, you know, the next decisions they make, yes, they have to be with the World Cup in mind, um, with the WXV in mind, all these things, but also with the players in mind, like keep the players like close to their club and their province, which, whichever way they're going to decide to do it, you know, make make that key to it, you know, make your, your club and your province and, and, and where you're from key to this journey as well. This was the first year for the introduction of contracts. We know this is a kind of a, a moving target, as it were, that this could change as we go along. There was the issue um, that was brought up earlier about maybe the introduction of hybrid contracts. Mm-hmm. So what way should the RFU now look at this, Ali, um, in terms of the contracts? And, we, you know, we've seen other nations that it's taken them a while to develop this uh, this yeah. area of the game. So how do you think that the RFU can improve this now? Yeah, I think we've, well, we have to introduce hybrid contracts and I'm sure that will happen. Um, I think as well, for me, I've never felt the centralization of the players in Dublin in a 15s program 
would work. It worked for sevens for other obvious reasons and doesn't work for this. So I'd like to see, you know, a kind of decentralization of power and influence and structure toward back towards the provinces in whatever way they want to do that. Um, yeah, and I, and I think you're right. Other countries, it's been a bumpy journey and we talked, we've used that word quite a lot. At the same time, some of the decisions that we made around the, the worth of the salaries and the lack of hybrid, it was obvious from the get-go that was never going to work. And, and I don't know what sort of thinking was going on internally around the, doing that. So I think that's what's frustrating. You know, the RFU will come, no doubt, to this event this week, this media event, uh, armed with new things because they know it's going to be tough, right? They're going to have to sit there and ask some tough questions. What I hope is that whatever new things, for want of a better phrase, are being introduced, whether it's money, resources, it's structures, etc., they aren't knee-jerk. They are in being introduced in light of, you know, the difficulties of this year and in light of knowing they've made mistakes in terms of the structure and they've really truly, truly engaged with people on the ground. So not just a couple of people who've been kind of co-opted onto women's committee, but actually all those people running the game around the country. So I'd really like to see that. Um, the other kind of less... I like guess softer point I want to make about what I'd like to see this week is I'd really like the tone in which the RFU deliver whatever messages they have and whatever announcements to be different. So, you know, I talked last week about communications and about being less defensive, etc. I hope, I hope that Kevin and others can say, I understand there is enormous frustration at everyone involved in the women's game at what's happened this, this championship, that we finished bottom or worst finish in nearly 20 years we only scored, you know, one try or two tries or whatever it was. And we are working, we're all part of a collective purpose because what I do not see really happening is the kind of, an acceptance that there is a big ecosystem of stakeholders. We might all have different views about how to get there and ultimately they take the decisions. I totally recognize that. But a recognition that actually we're all on the same journey here and your view matters and your view matters and we're going to listen to you. So I'd just like to see a shift in tone because there's an awful lot of distrust throughout the system and that needs to sort of go away because it doesn't help anyone. So I, I'd love that. And, and just lastly, sorry, this turned into a, a, a total go on. podcast. Is, is one of the things, and I, I don't like to compare us too much to England because it isn't comparable in lots of ways. But I think one of the things they really nailed at the weekend was that the kind of sense that there was a community around this game and this big event and everybody was included and a hugely like significant part of that were all the ex-players. So there's a huge focus on previous Red Rose. They did lots of events in and around the games. So I think we're missing a bit of that. And like we could really do with a nice bit of feel good. We're on this journey together. So I, I will be watching what is said and how it is said with great interest. Yeah, and and I think and it was it was a good question that Joe Malloy on Virgin Media asked uh, Jenny Murphy after the game on Saturday was the trust issue. Everything that Ali has said there, do you trust that the RFU will do this and will make these changes? I don't have the trust because I think that would be naive of me to say that. Okay, um, I think they'll do the right thing now. And that comes from experience, you know, and what we've been through. Like, that's that's not me being, you know, oh, I hate these guys. It's not, that's not it. Mm-hmm. It's because of what we've been through, what I've been through as a yeah. player and what I, you know, where, where the squad is now and everything that we've been through in the last few years. I absolutely agree with Ali. And that's what I'm, like, yearning for, for, you know, the, for the... the the RFU to come forward and, and deliver that message exactly and bring us together somehow. Like we are all on the same page. We all want the same thing. 
we understand the frustrations we want to move forward together i've heard some some good things about um some you know about kevin potts and 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 that's really nice to hear i'd love to see it like delivered back because at the moment it seems like everyone's being pitted against each other you know and and it's you know the the these the former players or the supporters and the protest and this it's all you know it's it's not a bad thing everyone wants the same thing everyone wants you know the good things to start happening that's where the that's why people are so passionate about it it's a good thing like let's refocus it and i can't agree more with ali than i'd love to hear from the review okay this is where we're at, where we're at. Let's do it together, and let's like take in all the all the we 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 you know we've taken on everything. We hear what you're saying. Please trust us now because we hear you, and that's where my trust would come from now. If if they had that reaction and they said to, to us, you know, please trust us because we have to. You know, we've we know we're going to get things wrong. We're we're really trying to get things right, and we we understand. Because I think denying, you know, because that's how it's felt now. No, there's no problems. This is historical. These don't exist. I, that's not been the right approach. It's kind of fueled for me more frustration because I don't think, um, you know, the, the journey up to now has been respected. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree with Ali and I'm like yearning for that message from the IRFU as well. Yeah, because it does feel like history just keeps repeating itself in, in that way, doesn't it, Ali? I'd like, you know... Let, yeah. Let's move on. You know, let's really move on with it now and the way th- these things are handled. A hundred percent. And I think the word Anna used there, like yearning, you know, it almost makes me sad for ex-players like Anna and, and the others who were on that panel you talked about. People are just desperate for this to progress. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there is goodwill. It's still in patches for, for Kevin and the team who are trying. I know I don't doubt that at all. It's just I think there's distrust about what we where and why they're putting resource in a certain way so yeah I, I just feel like we're at a point where people are like come on let's stop all this division let's stop all this arguing let's stop all this finger pointing let's all get on this bus together and drive somewhere good let's drive to England and be all at the next World Cup you know yeah, so this has uh, yeah. to be the tipping point like this has to be it now well I mean if the letter to the government I know, I know. Um, the, the scary thing is I think is that you know like this has to be the tipping point I've said that to myself a number of times over the last few years you know this has to be rock bottom this has to be it now and somehow somehow it's gotten worse from here I don't know how it could get worse the I suppose the the only way it could get worse is if, if this continues um you know and, and and the same the same mistakes keep happening but I, I've said that to myself you know when a lot of us have said it like this has to be it now this has to be the turning point this has to be the turning point and it never has been and that's where the, the distrust comes from mm. yeah no? I mean look not not being at a world cup and then finishing bottom of the six nations as, as your two sort of recent back-to-back mm-hmm. achievements in inverted commas it, it, it is hard to see it getting worse and you do have a union which has been very successful in one aspect of the sport yeah. so it, it is hard as Anna says to have a load of faith that they'll take the right decisions but at the same time, you know, these these are very credible, competent people. And I think hopefully this moment allows people just a little bit of space to say, all right, well, look, what we're doing isn't working. It is not working. We are rock bottom of the Six Nations. Thank goodness there isn't relegation in this particular competition because we'd be out of it. And some things need to change. So I think, um, again, let's, let's just see where we get to this week. 
But the the reality is as well that we are going to be on the back foot because um, Ireland will be in tier three of the new WXV competition. Like the likelihood is, well, it depends on who uh, wins the playoff for tier two between Italy and Spain. If Italy win, then all of our Six Nations opponents will be in either tier one or tier two. I mean, at the start of the Six Nations, there were questions being asked to the Ireland team, you know, is making tier one an ambition? And it wasn't ended up in tier three. Uh, the fact of the matter is, Anna, that like Ireland, you know, will get better, but our opponents will get better at a faster rate against superior opposition. Yeah, and that's that's a bit scary, actually, because I was thinking, you know, when I was reading about it, I was like, oh, well, if we just top tier three, then we'll go up into tier two. But that's not the case. It will always depend on our Six Nations result. So coming back to Six Nations next year, when, you know, we We've been playing against, you know, if it's, you know, if, if Spain is the other European team, I've had a look at it, like who potentially like going on like rankings and stuff like um, possibly Samoa, possibly Kenya, possibly Hong Kong, possibly Colombia. And they're all kind of none, none of those are confirmed yet. Um, they are Ireland would I, I Ireland would beat all of those teams. Um where how does that push us to get better uh i'm not sure that that means i think though that so this competition is going to be played in september october i think then what happens and back to our earlier point for the irish players or the top players in ireland between sort of november and april going to that next six nations is crucial how best in that window can you can you continue to build because we will win some games there which is you know we do need to win some games so that'll be that'll be good in one way but I think we're back to this, like, is what's currently plotted for that window, which is currently the Celtic Challenge competition, which, you know, we know that Wales and Scotland are not are using as a development. We're using it as our prep for the Six Nations. Is is that going to be right? And when Ireland look at the whole season and think about how do we produce the best players to that Six Nations? Because as you say, Anna, the Six Nations needs to continue to go well for us. It doesn't matter what almost happens in the WXV. Uh, that, that's our problem. It's that window there in between the two things. Is that in in that window, are we going to have the right competitions? And it, currently, no. And that's a problem. And the other thing, of course, is although the World Cup has expanded to 16 teams and they're all, you know, but there are specific places for each region. If you're playing in the bottom tier, you know, for the next couple of years, you know, qualification is by no means, I always said, we'll definitely be at the next World Cup. There's 16 yeah. teams going. Um, but now, I, you know, and I need to have a look at the pathway again, but you still need oh to be playing God, to win playoff games. So, you know, that's a problem for maybe the next year, but um, that also makes that path harder. Okay, everything just... <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should talk about some good things. Can I say a good thing? What? The spine of our team is very promising, right? So I was thinking about this this morning. If you look at, say, right from props to fullback, you've got Linda, Sam, Nicola, Derv, you've got Dana, Aoife Dalton, Aoife Doyle. There's a core group of very talented players. And Lauren Delaney, I thought, has been yes. has really grown into this tournament. I should I should have mentioned her, but you know, there's five or six players there who I think are, you know, if, if with a fair win behind us, could be amongst the best in their positions or there or thereabouts in that middle tier of Six Nations, not England and France. So there's with the right structures, the right support, the right morale, the right kind of coaching and so on, we definitely can, you know, reduce the gap between Scotland, Wales and and Italy, so there's you, you. You do emerge with some sense of all right. Look, we've got some talented, talented players there who, with all of those things around them, uh, you know, could help us bridge the gap. So uh, 
it's not all without hope. I think it's and I give us some yeah, and I give us some of your positivity. Give us something. I, yeah, I I agree with Ali, and I was also thinking about this this morning. And like, usually after Six Nations, um, you know. The, the team has changed a lot because of the introduction of sevens or, or withdrawal of sevens players or whatever. This, you know, this squad went through the whole thing themselves without that interruption. That will stand to the group. And completely agree with Ali on the core group of players that are there. They're brilliant. And they're some of the best, like, like they already were, despite Ireland's performance, like some of the best performers in the tournament, yeah. you know, in terms of like tackle count, dominant tackles, line breaks, meters made, things like that. Like Ireland were up there in a, in a lot of those stats. Um, so Ali's absolutely right. And, you know, the journey that they've been on, they, they've all said it, you know, if you look at their Instagrams or, or what they've been posting, like their, their messages are positive coming from the squad. They really have each other's backs. This journey will have made them so much stronger um, as long as, you know, as long as they're using the learnings from it, which I I trust that the players will. Um, So I think that is a positive thing that like the, there's a lot of learnings. It was the same group the whole way through, you know, and and not this kind of like, okay, there's, there's another player coming in to take a position now. So that player herself is a bit like, oh God, what did I do wrong? How do I change this? Even though it's just kind of the way it's been like the last few years, that's how that we've managed the Six Nations by by trying to, to feed both squads in, sevens and 15. So the, the I, I liked the management, just trusted it because there's a lot of questions like, will they bring in the sevens? Will they bring in sevens? And they were like, no, we're going with what we have. And and they stood by them and, and that's, that's good and they, they'll they'll be certainly better and, and stronger players and people for it. Well, on that, like Greg McWilliams did bring up unprompted a few times about the fact that the Sevens players weren't there. And I wonder if they had wrapped up qualification in Hong Kong, would a few of them have come into the squad, um, you know, um, for the final few weekends, obviously their qualification goes down to the to the wire against Toulouse. And, and I just want to ask you, I know we, we brought this up in an earlier podcast, but we have to talk about the head coach. Um, for some reason, I, I don't know why, but the duration of his contract wasn't revealed by the RFU when he was announced as a head coach in November 2021. But I understand that it finishes at the end of this calendar year. So look, obviously a difficult uh, time, you know, but overall in this two Six Nations, uh, two wins out of five games last Last year, no wins out of five this year. There are the mitigation factors of the sevens players not being available, which, as I say, he he raised himself unprompted a few times during the Six Nations. Um, Is he the right man for this job? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, You know, on paper, and if it was kind of any other sport, you'd be like, no, absolutely not. And, you know, heads will roll and and this kind of chat when you've had a, 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 you know, a campaign uh, such as that. I don't know. Yeah. Is my honest answer. I actually don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know him as a coach. I was never coached by him, so I can't comment on on that. I don't know what he's like. So, um there's nothing I can say that's not just kind of speculation from the outside. Um But in terms of how you know. see the, the team being coached, I I think we there will there'll inevitably be some kind of review of the Women's Six yeah. Nations. Um I think that might throw up 
you know, what's actually happened inside. When we're not on the pitch, we don't know how the team's been coached, but there have been some fundamental things that have improved. So our scrum got better, et cetera. And then other things, that whole whack-a-mole we talked about. I think he probably, the pressure certainly felt like it was getting to him. So some of the things he said during the course of the championship, I thought were strange. You know, I really didn't like the father comment, for example. I thought that showed a real um, lack of understanding about, you know, how to kind of communicate as, a, as an international coach and how you might come across and what that would do. So I think there's some challenges there, but I think, well, let's see what the review says. I think he probably does deserve to be there for the WXV to you know help Ireland to get some victories and go in there. Changing your coach now, I'm not sure the RFU would do that. Um, I can't imagine that that's on the card. So, you know, let's see what the review says. Let's see um, how they get on the WXV later this year. And I suspect he has at least one more Six Nations in him, it would be different, I think, if we were another year down the line and we were bottom again and we weren't seeing improvements. Um, there are mitigating factors, as you've said, but certainly I felt sort of watching the things that he said and the way in which he's tried to, you know, position it, it's kind of uncomfortable at times and a, a little bit um, naive, I think is probably the word. I think he's obviously a good guy, right? I don't doubt that. But a little bit of naivety, which um, at this level of the game, you know, you, you can't afford to, to be like that because actually what you're saying, given all the eyeballs on you, has also got an impact on the perception and the kind of the culture in and around the team or the perceived culture. So um, I'm not giving you a definite answer either, but I, I think he should stay on, um, do, do this at WXV and I'm sure they'll review his contract at the end of the year then. Yeah. So just finally, before we wrap, if, if there was one thing in particular that you would like to see changed to enable Ireland to be better for next year's Women's Six Nations, you know, what would it be? It's a bit of a broad one, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard, isn't it, to be like, okay, this, this or this. What, what I would like to say is like the 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 pathway so the league you know just like turn around and, and you know and focus on the league for next year make enough games have it you know last across the year but think the plan is already made for not prioritizing the league um so I think what I my suggestion is redundant because I don't think that's on the cards but that's what I would like to see I'd like to see more like we talked about already the pathway into it more competitive games and that's obviously not a achievable thing overnight either um but that is what I'd like to see yeah I think pathway for me is the key thing I'd, I'd really like a, a kind of compelling and proactive kind of you know argument given by the IRFU to say this is our plan and this is what we're going to do to make things better and even if we don't agree with that at least it would be decisive and you'd say all right benefit of the doubt you let's see where we go because Sinead I don't know if you have this experience this is not about bashing the RFU, right? They've had enough of that, I think. But I think there's an interesting thing that you, that happens when you're writing about or commentating on, on the women's game. The more the most convincing arguments you get from the RFU are all off the record when they call you up and explain things to you. And and I always say, why aren't you out there saying this? Like this is this is like very good, very there's some strategic intent there. I might not agree with you know all the decisions that you're making, but at least it looks decisive. And so I think I'd like to see a kind of compelling, coherent, decisive plan laid out you're either with us or you're not, that's fine. We accept there will always be detractors, but this is what we think the right thing to do is, and this is why, as opposed to no one really knowing, someone gets a call here, someone gets a call there. Just own it, own it. And I'd like to see that. 
Okay, well, fingers crossed uh, for all of those. Uh, lads, it's been a long, tiring, tough Women's Six Nations. <laughs> but thank you so much for your insight and your expert analysis and your emotion about it all uh, during this tournament. Thanks a million. Thanks, Sinead. Now, Will and Luke will be here on Wednesday to review Leinster's fantastic win over Toulouse in the Heineken Champions Cup semi-final as Leinster march on to another European Cup final with Ronan O'Gara's La Rochelle later this month. Thanks for listening. This is an Irish independent podcast.